From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. A very busy show. Here's a quick summary. Up first, a very poignant uh, column uh, by our good friend John Rappaport at nomorefakenews.com on why the political left hates free speech and why they feel so emboldened uh, to shut it down. John Rappaport joins me next on our panel, along with another good friend of the program, Morgan Reynolds from nomoregames.net, former chief economist with the U.S. Department of Labor. They'll both weigh in on uh, John Rappaport's recent blog entry, again, at nomorefakenews.com. Then, WannaCry, uh, ransomware, who created it and uh, why? Is the threat over? And uh, how do we protect ourselves? Cybersecurity uh, expert Eugene Ng uh, will join us from uh, MNP, a law firm. He's the uh, cybersecurity leader for Eastern Canada, and he'll uh, be here to discuss. Then, an update on the murder of DNC staffer Seth Rich. Was he the source of the DNC leaks to WikiLeaks, and was he murdered as retribution, or is this mere conspiracy theory? Alicia Powell from WND. Uh, will be here in the first hour. Also in the first hour, our mailbag and, of course, our weekly remote viewing experiment, What's in the Box? Second hour, open lines. First hour, or first half hour, open lines. And uh, that'll be followed by a visit from assassination researcher James D. Eugenio as we commemorate the 100th anniversary of the birth of JFK, 35th President of the United States. Uh, we are jam-packed, so let's get to it. Uh, first, let me introduce the boys in the band. On the Flying V Gibson guitar, technical producer Ian Robertson on the other side of the glass. Uh, on the Rickenbacker bass guitar and occasionally the theremin, story producer Albert Finzel. And uh, finally, on the Hammond B3, the producer of my weekly radio feature, Strange Planet, Ryan White. Gentlemen, welcome all. Now, uh, let me direct your attention to the cigar box on my left, perched atop my studio desk here at Zoomerplex. Let me give you the coordinates. 70 Jefferson Avenue, here in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Those are your coordinates. Now, allow the object in the box to form in your mind. Allow the shape, the size, color, and texture to form in your mind. Don't guess. Don't think. Get out of your own way. Trust your instincts. All right. To participate, you must tweet me at Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T, at Richard Serrett, and you must use the hashtag TCS Remote. TCS, as in The Conspiracy Show, Remote. Again, I will only accept entries from my Twitter feed using the hashtag TCS Remote. And uh, the skilled remote viewer who identifies what's in the box will be uh, rewarded with some fabulous Conspiracy Show merchandise. Please browse our line of T-shirts and phone cases, mugs, etc. at the online store at theconspiracyshow.com. If you're a fan of the show, why not show it off? and uh, purchase an item and help support the, cons- uh, the the work we do here at The Conspiracy Show. Again, theconspiracyshow.com, and we'll reveal the contents of the box just after the bottom of the hour. 
One of the most disturbing trends uh, taking places on college campuses across North America is the utter contempt for free speech by the left. The so-called tolerant ones, showing tolerance for everything except a divergent viewpoint. Many radical cultural Marxist students, uh, and in many cases their professors, and even the uh, being enabled by college administrators, Various uh, conservative groups, young Republican groups, pro-life groups have been banned uh, from forming clubs on college campuses. I don't need to go over the the list of conservative speakers who have been invited to speak at places like Berkeley, only to have the speeches canceled uh, because of rioting, rampaging, violent students. And in some cases, this violence and intolerance from the left has been encouraged uh, by the uh, the mainstream media and even a former attorney general who will remain Loretta Lynch, recently commented that there needs to be more blood in the streets. But why does the left feel uh, hate free speech so much? And and how did the left become so emboldened in their increasingly violent efforts to stifle any political discourse they disagree disagree with? Here to discuss is a veteran investigative journalist from No More Fake News, John Rappaport. John, how are you? Very good, Richard. Good to be here. And uh, the former chief economist at the U.S. Department of Labor from NoMoreGames.net, our good friend Morgan Reynolds. Morgan, how are you? Hey, Richard. I'm excellent. Great. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining me. Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. John, a great column, outstanding column. And... um, uh, Again, people can read the uh, the blog at in its entirety at nomorefakenews.com. John, first to you. When you talk about the left, you're really talking about the foot soldiers, as you point out, the grunts, who seem to be so oblivious to the fact they're really doing the bidding of the globalists, the crony capitalists at the top of the food chain. Just explain a little bit more about that, who the left is. Well, you said it. We're talking about uh, the globalists. We're talking about major organizations, corporations, foundations. We're talking about the bureaucracy, by and large, of the U.S. federal government itself. We're talking about the Rockefeller global movement to eradicate borders, to form in the future a North American Union, to basically put the world under the control of people who are claiming that they are for the good and for peace and for prosperity and humane motives and so on. And, of course, these people who are out in the streets have no idea that that's who they're really working on behalf of. So that's the short version. Yeah, it, uh, Morgan. Let me throw it over to you. It's 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 to me. It's ironic that the the, the people out, uh, you know, protesting with their placards and so forth. They think they're the revolution, but in a sense, they're the ones that are propping up the status quo. Would you agree? Well, yeah. To, to address your uh, word, revolution. They're the counter revolution to Western civilization, right? Uh, ancient Greece is the cradle of Western civilization. And it's been a long, uh, hard struggle to uh, empower every man to speak his mind. But, uh, I've got a, uh, lots of quotes here, but the, the emperor of Rome, Domitian, in uh, 90 A.D., says, quote, in a free state, there must be free speech, unquote. You know, you go up to uh, Montesquieu, John Milton maybe is the most uh, famous advocate in the English-speaking uh, world, uh, 1644, 
and he he puts it that, uh, this in proper order. Give me the liberty to know, to utter, and to argue freely according to conscience, above all liberties. And that's why the founders um, put uh, the, this freedom of speech and press in the First Amendment. It's not there by some arbitrary uh, random digit uh, generator. What? So uh, th- these students are totally ignorant of the, our, our Western heritage. And uh, or let, let me quote Thomas Jefferson, 1814, For God's sake, let us freely hear both sides. Excellent. Where do you hear that on campuses now? Excellent. John Rappaport, it, it, Berkeley was you know, the home of uh, a lot of these protests in the 60s, uh, the, this whole movement where they were demanding more freedom, more freedom of speech. It's, it's, again, ironic that now we find Berkeley is sort of headquarters where they want to shut all this down. Why does why does the left hate free speech so much? Well, first of all, you've got to understand that the educational system itself has been deteriorating and collapsing and falling apart for a long time now in America. So these students really learn nothing about logic. They learn nothing about, uh, as Morgan pointed out, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, the history of the struggle for free speech. So what you end up with are know-nothings who uh, have no background, no understanding, nor the ability to enter into any kind of formal discussion or debate. And if you steal from people that ability, if you dumb them down to the point where they're incapable of carrying on any kind of dialogue, then what you end up with is a very destructive formula. It sounds good to some people, which is you identify the bad and you try to wipe it out completely. And, of course, that would include censorship. Well, that's the lowest of the low. But these people feel empowered by this idea because they have—they don't feel empowered by anything else. The prospect of being able to go out and riot and throw stones through windows and so forth and burn cars and everything, to them, that's a power. That's the adrenaline moving. That's the the best that they can think of. And they believe that they're participating in bringing on a better world by just wiping out the other side or wiping out what they consider to be bad because that's all they can do. That's the only thing that they can be inspired by because they don't have the capability for actually entering into debate. And meanwhile, they are doing the, the bidding, and it seems oblivious, as you point out, uh, that they are doing the bidding of... Uh, the globalists and the crony capitalists, the very people that they claim, you know, that they're protesting against in some cases. Morgan, is there any way, I mean, how do we, how do we reverse this? Is it too late? Uh, the more publicity, the better. Uh, it's too bad Ann Coulter, for example, didn't uh, give her speech and uh, see all this. I, I don't really blame her, but uh, it, it's kind of like having Soviet journalists, quote unquote, uh, back in the day being on TV and a lot of conservatives were upset, they're giving them, I say, no, fine, everybody can see right through this. Uh, so these people are really dangerous 30 years from now. Now, yeah, they're having some lot of success uh, using the initiation of force or threat of force to, to suppress uh, some free speech, but uh, they, they certainly aren't going to carry the day in the body politic, and the courts are actually pretty good in terms of 
handing down rulings that uh, protect uh, free speech. Uh, but look at these people. Look at Donald Trump's CIA director, Mike, Mike Pompeo, uh, pretty famously recently said, we have to recognize that we can no longer allow Assange and his colleagues the latitude to use free speech values against us. To give them the space to crush us with misappropriated secrets is a perversion of what our great Constitution stands for. It ends now. Well, of course, they, they, their big problem is that, as Assange uh, properly uh, points out, hey, we're a publisher. You know, people... Uh, if I were going to be a whistleblower and bring uh, some uh, state secrets forward, I wouldn't take it to the New York Times. You don't know what you're going to get. They'll probably turn you in. All right, Morgan, so I got to, I got to, uh, just, I'm gonna, I want to John to give me uh, the last word on this before we uh, we um, run. Uh, are you hopeful that this can be reversed, uh, John? This this horrible, disturbing trend. In the long run, it's possible, but it's going to be very difficult. You've got to actually educate people, and the administrators of universities have to stand up and say, we're not going to shut down free speech. So it's the future hangs in the balance. John Rappaport, NoMoreFakeNews.com, Morgan Reynolds, NoMoreGames.net. Gentlemen, thank you both. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. All right, when we come back, Eugene Ng. Cybersecurity expert will uh, talk about WannaCry uh, ransomware rather, and uh, Trojan horse viruses. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Coming up after the uh, the bottom of the hour, our uh, mailbag. Plus, we'll reveal what's in the box, our weekly remote viewing experiment. Use the hashtag TCSRemote. Uh, through my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, our weekly remote viewing experiment. Uh, that's coming up next. Uh, last weekend, the uh, the WannaCry ransomware, uh, ransomware uh, infection, it just caused havoc. Hundreds of countries, hundreds of thousands of uh, machines affected, and there's this blame game that's going on over who's responsible for this massive cyber attack that, uh, again, infected hundreds of thousands of computers. Microsoft is pointing its finger at the U.S. government while... Some experts say the software giant is also accountable. The uh, attack started last Friday. It's affected computers in more than 150 countries, including severe disruptions at Britain's National Health Service. Uh, the, uh, the hack used a technique purportedly stolen from the U.S. National Security Agency to target Microsoft's marketing or market-leading Windows operating system. It effectively takes the computer hostage and demands a $300 U.S. ransom to be paid in 72 hours with Bitcoin. Here to discuss more is MNP's cybersecurity expert, Eugene Ng. Eugene is a graduate of the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. He holds the Certified Information Systems Security Professional designation and is a PCI-qualified security advisor. Eugene, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Thanks for being here. How are you? Thanks, Richard. I'm good. How are you? Very well, thank you. Uh, for the uninitiated, and that would include myself, <laughs> what is what is ransomware? I mean, I described it very, very generally, but what is it? How does it work? Well, I mean, it's essentially a, a form of malware that basically um, hijacks your, I guess, important files and uh, gets you to try to pay a ransom for it, and that's kind of the... The combination of ransom and and, uh, and malware. And how it, the WannaCry uh, uh, incarnation or uh, iteration of this ransomware? What was it? Was there anything different about WannaCry? 
Uh, I mean, the only uh, difference is that it used a, an exploit that was, like you said in your intro, um, purportedly stolen from the NSA back in uh, in March. Uh, exploited a vulnerability in Windows uh, operating systems primarily and spread extremely quickly. But I mean, from a, um, you know, effectiveness and how other ransomwares behave, it, it behaved exactly the same as everything else. And, and what, what types of files would be at risk? For example, I mean, how does it, how does it enter into your computer? Is it you open an email? Is it someone sends you a JPEG? What files in particular? So, the files that it affects are pretty much any files that are important to you. Um, I know there's a, a listing out there. There's probably hundreds of different file extensions uh, that it actually encrypts. So, you know, your traditional Word documents, Excel, PDFs, photos, JPEGs, all that kind of stuff would be uh, would be encrypted and then held for ransom. As far as how uh, your workstation could become uh, infected with the, the, the ransomware, that's typically done through phishing emails. I mean, the majority of these ransomware attacks are done through phishing, uh, but they can also be uh, downloaded, you know, through the web, through malicious sites. Um, uh, they could be uh, executed through hidden macros in Word, Excel uh, files as well. So there's a bunch of different ways that, that users could be infected. So um, if your computer is infected, and is this only um, Windows operating systems? Like, I'm a Mac guy. And does that mean I'm free and clear, or are, are Macs From vulnerable? this particular strain of uh, ransomware, yes. But there are versions of ransomware out there that also affect Macs. Aha. So once again, it takes control of like, what kind of information then on your computer would they take ransom? Uh, I, for example, I had my website was taken ransom uh, one time. Yeah. Um, so, but what else can they get a hold of on your computer? They're they're really really looking just to uh, make the most impact they can. So again, you, they're usually targeting files and documents that you would consider to be um, you know sensitive or important to you. So those are you know your Word documents, your PDFs, right. um, personal photos, you know all that kind of stuff. They would essentially encrypt those files and then uh, provide you with a screen to say you know pay a. Uh, a sum of, you know, whatever, 0.5 of a bit, Bitcoin to get them back. And is your recommendation that you pay that, or is there a, is there a, um, a way around it? Um, I mean, we've worked with uh, enterprise organizations that have paid the ransom. Uh, we strongly uh, recommend against paying the ransom. If you do get infected, uh, the best thing you can do is just unplug your computer, shut it down, uh, take it into, you know, a uh, computer a place that can help you re-image the machine, and hopefully you've got a backup of, uh, of your sensitive files. Now, how was this particular iteration of uh, ransomware, the WannaCry uh, ransomware, created? I mean, there's, there's this talk, there's a lot of finger-pointing going on. Uh, Microsoft is blaming the National Security Agency, although, and mm-hmm. Homeland Security said, no, it wasn't the NSA. Uh, some people are saying Microsoft is to blame. Do you have a handle on who might be responsible, how this was created? Um, I mean, mo- the majority of the stories that I've been reading and the, the research that I've done is it does point to uh, a bunch of, I, I guess, hacking tools that were stolen from the NSA or that were leaked from the NSA uh, that were posted on the web for attackers to use. Uh, back in March, 
Microsoft did issue a, a patch or a security update for the vulnerable operating systems. And the challenge for organizations and individuals is they're just not patching and updating their machines uh, often enough. So why are intelligence agencies developing these um this 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 malware. I mean, what what is the point of them developing malware? What are they using it for? Do you, do you have any idea? I mean, they're basically using it to spy and um, to perform nefarious acts against enterprises and individuals. They're they're looking for backdoors and ways to gain access to you know critical infrastructure, uh, sensitive organizations that may be working on national defense contracts. I mean, those are the the targets of the sophisticated cyber armies that are that are around the world. I mean, the U.S. certainly has them, um, but you look at countries like China, even India, Israel, um, you know, they've got all, they also have a, a fantastic group of individuals that are looking for, uh, you know, soft targets to infiltrate and to, uh, to, to look at people's information. So th- this seems to be the new, you know, the new type of warfare. Uh, it's it's not necessarily fought on the battlefield with tanks and artillery anymore. It's it's um, on the one side you have these hackers who are trying to, uh, let's say for example, there was a case of uh, Iran's uh, centrifuge in their nuclear uh, development program. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was uh, some malware, I believe, used to to shut down some of their centrifuges. I mean, this seems to be the new way that wars are being fought. You've got the you've got the people on the offense uh, who are launching these Trojan horses, and then there are people like you, I guess, who are, you know, sort of on, manning the wall, trying to protect us from these sorts of things. Yeah, and I mean, it is definitely the the new reality. That the challenge, I think, moving forward is, you know, we talk about this public-private partnership. Um, you know, a lot of private organizations are working either, you know, contracted for the government or providing uh, outsourced services to, you know, sensitive areas within uh, government agencies. And so you're really not attacking, um, or your primary target is not always state organizations, you know, like the power grid and things like that. Um, there are other softer targets that are providing services to these sensitive agencies that are becoming the targets for these um, cyber armies. Excellent point. Eugene Ng is the cybersecurity leader for MNP. Uh, that's a law firm uh, f- responsible for Eastern Canada. Uh, so how easy is it then for these tools that have been developed by these intelligence groups? I mean, how how vulnerable are we in terms of you know these tools being developed by intelligence groups falling into the wrong hands? Uh, clearly, very vulnerable, unfortunately. Um, I personally, you know, again, I, I'm not necessarily against these organizations from having tools or having access to tools like this. But, um, you know, when they are disclosed on the public Internet, they do have a responsibility to notify notify the public. Um, I think that was done too late in this case. That um, It should have been released uh, far sooner to give organizations a chance to to update their systems. So once we figure out how to uh, resolve the WannaCry um, virus, there's another one, I guess, ready to go. Is that, I mean, in your line of business, is it just one coming after the other after the other and there's no stopping it? Yeah, I mean, there was a study um, like a couple years ago released, I think, by Symantec uh, that they were looking at uh, over a thousand variants per day 
um, of different types of malware. In fact, this NSA leak of the um, Eternal Blue or the WannaCry uh, exploit, there were variants created you know, right after the initial uh, payload was launched. But there's others, there's dozens more uh, that are out there that are in the hands of the of the public. Talk about job security for people like you. <laughs> uh, but I mean, and, and who are who are these people that are are uh, using this malware against us? Are they? Is it organized crime? Are they? Is it some individual? Uh, you know, sitting in a, in a in some dank basement somewhere, anywhere. I mean, who, do do we know who these people are generally? Well, I mean, the, the whole idea of having the you know individual in their basement with the hoodie over their uh, head, you know, typing feverishly away at their workstation, I, I don't think is um, is reality. I think you are looking at you know organized crime, very highly skilled individuals and organizations um, that are using these exploits and creating these exploits to to get financial gain. Uh, the challenge really becomes you know tracking down the source of you know for example this one or even the Stuxnet um, uh, example that you raised earlier. You know the all the stories kind of point to you know Israel and the U.S. were taking down Iran's nuclear program, but I've read, read other articles uh, where they're basically implicating uh, potentially China, whose initial target w- was India, just because of their space race and those two countries uh, being adversaries. So, uh, you know, with these digital attacks, it's really hard to kind of find that uh, that that smoking gun. Okay, so. Um Let's assume that uh, we haven't been infected yet. I mean, there's more coming. Um, w- what are the steps that we take in order to ensure that we don't get infected in the first place? My number one rule when I talk to organizations and individuals is to update your systems. You know, when your Windows PC asks you and tells you that there's an update, uh, you should be subscribing to those updates, downloading them automatically, and then installing them when you have a chance or when your mobile device prompts you that, you know, an application has an update to install, download it and install it right away. That's probably the um, the best piece of advice I can give anybody. Updating not only your operating system, but also all the your applications. Apps. All right. What about changing your password? Uh, you can change your password. Uh, my philosophy is, Pick a, a strong passphrase instead of a you know a strong password. So use a longer sentence uh, if possible. Uh, you don't have to change it as, as often. It's probably harder to guess than it would be a, a shorter, more complicated password that you'd have to write down or, or use a password safe. Um, best practice is certainly to change your password, but my recommendation is uh, using a longer sentence. And, and what about when you take your your uh, your laptop with you, uh, let's say uh, on holidays or someplace, and you're using public Wi-Fi? Always be careful with the public Wi-Fi. People can see where you're going. Um, there's also education that you know you can watch videos on YouTube about how to distinguish between a um, legitimate, uh, you know, SSL encrypted and, and trusted. A website like your online banking to be able to tell the difference between that and let's say you know a phishing uh, web page that's been that's been brought up or an unsecure website. Are these uh, is malware becoming more potent, more sophisticated, or are they? Uh, is it essentially the, sort of the same general idea each time? Um, the, the the challenge with malware is they have different targets. 
So some of them certainly are looking to uh, are targeted at individuals or organizations to try to gain access to sensitive systems, and they're you know they're very targeted at what they do. And then you have these other ones, these you know kind of ransomware, where for the most part they're not really looking um, to harvest specific information. They're just trying to cast the net and make as much money as possible, and and uh, and move on to the next target. So. Um, I would say some variants of malware are certainly getting more sophisticated. You know, others that the challenge really is, you know, the antivirus engines that are out there today, with you know thousands of different variants each and every day. It's it's almost impossible to uh, to keep up. So some of them are cookie cutter. Um, they just change a couple of things here and there, whereas others are, are definitely more uh, more targeted, more sophisticated. Eugene Ng is. Uh the cybersecurity leader for Eastern Canada with a law firm MNP. Eugene, thank you so much for this. Thank you. Mailbag and the big reveal for what's in the box up next right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Coming up after the uh, top of the hour, open lines. That's uh, the first half hour of the second hour. Open lines and uh, then the last half hour of the program, assassination researcher James D. Eugenio will be here to talk about the 100th anniversary, upcoming 100th anniversary of the birth of John F. Kennedy uh, and some interesting things that uh, are uh, in store uh, this year as we uh, mark that anniversary and also, of course, coming up on the, the 54th anniversary of the assassination or the murder of the 35th president. And uh, in the uh, the next segment upcoming, uh, Alicia Powell is a political reporter with WND, formerly uh, known as WorldNet Daily, and we'll uh, give you an update on the, the uh, murder last July of DNC staffer Seth Rich, who was gunned down in a Washington uh, neighborhood. Um, initially, it was, we were told it was a robbery, except uh, nothing was taken. His wallet, his jewelry, his watch, all in place. And some have connected the dots uh, between Seth Rich and the, uh, the leak of those emails from the DNC to Julian Assange and his organization, WikiLeaks. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll speak with, Alicia, uh, with um, Alicia Powell coming up in just a few moments. Now it is time for our big reveal on what's in the box, our weekly remote viewing experiment. Before that, before we reveal, let's go around the horn. And um, from our uh, staff here at The Conspiracy Show, we'll begin with Ian Robertson. Ian, what's in the box? Uh, I'm seeing something smooth and green. Smooth and green? Yeah. All right. Maybe a plant of some sort? Maybe a plant. All right. I like the way you allow the things to form in your mind. You don't just blurt out an answer. All right. Albert Vinzel, what's in the box? My, my mind still keeps going back to stuff you've had in the box before, so I'm guessing blue flashlight. Okay. All right. Interesting. Interesting. And um, Ryan White, what's in the box? I'm seeing a very particular shape, almost like a, a, a volcano that's been exploded, or a crater. A volcano. It's a small well, cigar box, Ryan. Yeah, but you're maybe a, a model, or maybe <laughs> the island of Hawaii. It's like like the island of Hawaii, but in a shape and maybe maybe glassy. Oh, uh-huh. wow! All right, a fifty-seven Buick. No, it's not. <laughs> All right, let's go to the Twitter feed, and what are people guessing? All right, uh, Alan guesses a maple glazed donut. Mm-hmm. Eric uh, thinks it's a wallet. Daniel S. sees silverware or a butter knife. 
Uh, Weiwei thinks it's either an egg beater or a small furry green thing. Retiring Dale thinks it's a spoon. Uh, Paul of Newfoundland, uh, loosely stacked, thin, blade-like items, feathers or popsicle sticks. Ah. Aubrey, something silver and round. Blah Blah Tuesday, a pencil. Kevin B., something spongy or synthetic. All right. This is amazing. Albert, I know you're on the phone, but look at this. It's a flashlight. <laughs> Albert, outstanding. Black. Don't curse the darkness. Light a candle. There you go. Well done, sir. You didn't peek in the box, nope. right? Did he peek in the box? Ian, did you I see him? I might have seen him peek in the box. I Seriously? swear I didn't. <laughs> you swear? All right. Pinky I swear? All right. Well done. I'm going to set you up with some TCS merch. Albert, you want a mug or a T-shirt? I, I, I don't know if I'm eligible. <laughs> oh, that's right. Employees are not... I'll send you something. That's all right. Please visit our online store at theconspiracyshow.com. And uh, well done. All right. Uh, we've got a few moments yet. Let's, uh, let's do our mailbag. Now, we, we received a very interesting letter from Columbus, Ohio, Albert. Uh, you're, you're becoming a specialist in this. It's, it's uh, about a TI again. A it's, targeted individual, yes. Right. It's um, Steve. His, name, his first name is Steve. We're censored the last name from Columbus. Ohio. He, right. And he writes, Dear Richard, I am a TI, a targeted individual. You have heard of us before. In my case, since August 9th, 2014, I've been getting hit with some kind of frequency directly to my brain. That's 24-7, non-stop. I believe it's from cell towers and satellites. I think it's a type of EMF microwave radiation frequency. I believe it's for two reasons. One, political control and repression. Number two, for high-tech experimentation on human beings. I began to get hit about six days after I sent a letter to my elected official about all the chemtrails spraying. Uh, back in 2014, I also sent some photographs I took of chemtrails. I believe there really is a military-industrial complex shadow government deep state. It's working against human beings and freedom. Please shine a light on these ongoing crimes. Thank you, Steve. Steve in Columbus. All right, well, thank you for that letter, Steve. And um, we do. We continue to shine a light on uh, targeted individuals. We talk a lot about it, and I receive... I would say at least one handwritten letter or type letter a week through snail mail, and I also receive a couple of um, a couple of emails every week, and it seems to be intensifying. Uh, so, Stephen, um, thank you for that, and again, I um, will pray for you. I don't know what else to say. I, um, you know, we'll continue to uh, to talk about it, and we'll have to get uh, our good friend uh, Dr. John Hall back on the program, and. Um, for those of you who are suffering uh, as targeted individuals, um, know that you can always uh, turn to me and you can write and uh, we'll also we'll always provide a forum uh, here for you to talk about this. All right. Thank you again. Uh, I don't know if that I was explicit. I know we're, we're doing radio and I held up the object that what's in the box on the camera, but I don't actually I don't think I said it on air. It was a flashlight. And uh, Albert, you nailed it. You said a blue flashlight, but... Uh, Close enough. It's a black flashlight, and he swears he didn't look in the box. I believe him. All right. Alicia Powell from WND standing by in Washington to talk to us about the murder of DNC staffer Seth Rich. That's upcoming here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us.
You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Uh, coming up at the uh, after the top of the hour, open lines, uh, followed by our conversation with assassination researcher James D. Eugenio, who will join us live from Los Angeles, uh, and we'll uh, delve into, well, we'll uh, commemorate the 100th anniversary, coming up very soon, the 100th anniversary of the birth of John F. Kennedy. And some interesting things uh, coming up later this year. Uh, in October, uh, I believe it's the last sort of staunch, uh, or the last, rather, the uh, um, group of, of documents to be released um, under the the JFK um, sort of official records act. Uh, the last of those documents are to be released, and then in November there will be a mock trial. I guess they'll put the uh, the Warren Commission on trial at uh, a law school in Houston. So James D. Eugenio will be along to talk about that and uh, um, open lines, as I say, coming up next. Seth Rich, Seth Conrad Rich, 27-year-old computer voting specialist, was working with the uh, Democratic National Committee was uh, fatally shot in Bloomingdale, a neighborhood in uh, Washington, D.C., last July. Uh, Police initially said that Mr. Rich was the victim of a robbery gone wrong. Although uh, he was found shot in the back, he was still in possession of his wallet, his credit cards, his cell phone, his watch. His wristwatch was torn but not broken. And uh, interesting that his, his death came just before a particularly sensitive time for the DNC, WikiLeaks published thousands of DNC emails and documents on July the 22nd, leading to the resignation of DNC chairwoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz right before the 2016 Democratic National Convention. The DNC had publicly disclosed that their networks had been breached in June of that year. And those emails, of course, were particularly damaging because they showed the DNC had actively tried to undermine the presidential campaign of Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders who surprised much of the Democratic establishment with a competitive challenge to the eventual nominee, Hillary Clinton. Julian Assange of WikiLeaks has all but admitted uh, that Seth Rich was the source of the DNC leaks, even going so far as to offer a reward for information leading to the arrest of Seth Rich's murder. Here to discuss the latest developments in this interesting case is Alicia Powell, political reporter with WND, formerly WorldNet Daily. She's written for numerous outlets, including Human Events, Media Research Center, Town Hall, Daily Surge, and Young Cons. She worked in the war room of the Rudy Giuliani Presidential Committee and served as a White House intern during the George W. Bush administration. Alicia holds a Bachelor of Science degree in political science from John Jay College of Criminal Justice. Uh, she's a New York a New York native and currently resides in the Washington D.C. Uh, area. You can follow Alicia on Twitter at Alicia underscore Pow. That's A L I C I A underscore Pow P W E. Alicia, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Thanks for joining me. How are you? Thank you for having me today and tonight. And um, <laughs> this Seth Rich story, you know, if if we get to the bottom of it and we we find that the DNC is responsible for Seth Rich's death. I mean, the ramifications of that would just be magnificent. But, um, you know, there are lots of red flags that um, are kind of leading in that direction, proving well, that they did do it. It's interesting. I mean, the mainstream media is not, they don't want to touch this one with a 10-foot pole. Uh, I know that Fox had uh, the, um, the, the private detective that was hired by a third party uh, to investigate this, um, tell us a little bit about what do we know about this uh, private I- I investigator? Is it Rod um, Rod Wheeler? Yes, Rod Wheeler. Yes, he was hired by the family in March to um, 
start investigating the case. And he went immediately to the police department to see what they've uncovered already, to find out what the police have uncovered already. And according to Rod, he has a very good relationship with with the police. He's very close with the the chief of police in Washington, D.C. But when he went there, he told me that they gave him blank stares. They wouldn't give him much information at all, and he found it odd. He found it actually, in his words, scary, how they were, the, the lack of aggression they had to help him or to give him information and that they continue to have. So the really funny thing is that um, uh, just the day after or the day before the um, Seth Rich's story um, that I was on, on Drudge Report and became news again last week, the family told the detective that the reason why the police didn't give him any information is because a high-ranking DNC official went to the police department to find out why Detective Wheeler was snooping around. And then he contacted the family, this high-ranking official, to find out why they hired a private detective. Now the family has had a spokesman um, who is a uh, family spokesman named Brad Bauman. He is a Democrat political uh, crisis consultant. That's their spokesman. And he was friends with, uh, he told me that he's friends with uh, two of Rich's friends in the, from the DNC. And that's how he was put in touch with the family to handle the media. So Bauman and, is now speaking on behalf of the family. Yes. Was it Bauman or was it the family that that uh, because after uh, Wheeler appeared on uh, Fox, I believe it was on on Sean Hannity's program, uh, either Bowman, the spokesman for the family, or the family themselves came out and said that all of this conspiracy talk is hampering the investigation. It's very hurtful to the family. Do we know who said that? Right. Was it was it the spokesman, the DNC spokesman, or was it the family? Well, um, it was a DNC spokesman, apparently, allegedly, on behalf of the family. Ah. So how odd is it? Now, what's really, you know, alarming to me, it's alarming to the detective, and it's just raising red flags, is when he talked to the spokesman, he, he literally, he said more than once, he said to numerous media outlets, anyone who dares, allege or or even think for a moment that Seth Rich leaked these emails to WikiLeaks should burn in hell, right? Now, I interviewed him for about a half an hour, and I let him do most of the talking, and he did not mention anything about emails and WikiLeaks, almost strategically, and that is what he is. He's a spin doctor for the DNC, right, a crisis consultant. Right. So as soon as I started mentioning WikiLeaks, I asked him, you know, why... Why do you think it's evil just to not rule it all out? Don't we want to get to the bottom of the case? And he just got belligerent again and got angry. And he's, you know, I, I, you can hear in my interview actually where he's, um, he says to me, well, I say, and I'm not trying to argue with you. I just want, I'm just asking you a question. I apologize if you think I'm arguing, you know, I'm just trying to start an argument to kind of reel him back in from being so emphatically upset about me mentioning WikiLeaks or email. Right, right. So that, that that's also disconcerting. 
Alicia Powell is with us. She's a political reporter with World Net Daily or WND and uh, has written uh, for numerous other outlets. And you can follow her on Twitter at Alicia, A-L-I-C-I-A, Alicia underscore Powell, P-O-W-E. Um, you know, it's interesting the mainstream media is saying that the, these conspiracy theories are being concocted uh, by the alt-right because they want to detract or di- distract from all of this, uh, you know, talk about uh, uh, you know Trump's collusion with the Russians and so forth. Well, I mean, you could easily make the argument the other way, <laughs> that the, 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 the alt-left um, is, is um, using this Russian uh, collusion talk to distract from Seth Rich's murder. Well... It's not news to any conservative or any avid news watcher that the mainstream media is another arm, an arm, a spokesman of the Democratic National Committee, right? They're Hillary Clinton and uh, Barack Obama and the Democrat um, uh, spokespeople, right? All right. of them, right? 97% of the White House press corps are identi- self-identified liberals or the, the, the liberal is not uh, leftist enough for them to categorize themselves as. Sorry, Democrats. Democrats aren't liberal enough. So um, we can't expect any kind of truth from the mainstream media. We can expect them to uh, keep on beating the American people in the head with the fact that there's collusion with Russia, right? And that Russia is, is the reason why um, is, is behind the leak. Um, and Julian Assange has repeatedly come and said that Ru- he, Russia was not in source. Right. Now, but earlier, it doesn't matter. Just right? before you came on, Alicia, I, was, I mentioned that, and I may be misremembering this, but I think not. I think Julian Assange basically all but admitted that Seth Rich was the source. I mean, he was asking us, begging us to read in between the lines. I mean, what was your characterization of, of Assange's comments about Seth Rich and the possibility that he was the source of the leaks? Why would Assange lie? First of all, he, he hasn't yet to be proven wrong about any any of the information he's put out so far or revealed to us has yet to be proven inaccurate. But really, what what would be his intention of lying? I mean, if Russia, why why should we believe the fact that the mainstream media is trying to is not talking about this story? The fact that the spokesman is so outrageous. What's weird is why is the family, um, was the family paid off? That's what some people are speculating to wonder, you know, not trying to get to the bottom of this. Um, or perhaps just living in fear, perhaps being perhaps, in, being intimidated. Perhaps. What about the existence of evidence on the late Seth Rich's computer that may have linked him to WikiLeaks? I believe Rod Wheeler mentioned that. Although the police okay. say it doesn't exist, what do we know? Is that computer out there? Is that information on that computer? Well, first without we we, we so when the drudge story hit last week, we learned that there was a federal investigator who seen the computer and found evidence that Rich was in fact leaking lots of all these DNC emails to WikiLeaks through a third party source, through someone, a journalist, a British journalist who passed away um that was his contact to wikileaks and now you know the the detective wheeler says he's been trying to find the computer and he hasn't been able to find it and the spokesman tells me that the family has the computer i'm gonna set the record clear once and for all the family has the computer 
And the Washington, D.C. police has a computer. So <laughs> there's, well, mixed, there's, there's mixed uh, responses on who has the computer. If the family has a computer, then why not just yeah. reveal what's e- on it? Exactly. Alicia, i got to run, but uh, uh, let's hope you. that the FBI can um, maybe... Uh, subpoena that. Uh, thank you so much. Alicia Power, WND. You. Appreciate your time tonight. Thank you. Open lines when The Conspiracy Show returns right after this.